Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Today, we're going to continue in our series of teachings on the Gospel of Luke, in which, remember, we're looking at the fact that Luke experienced Jesus as a surprise. And Luke believes, Luke anticipates that religious people are going to experience Jesus as a surprise. When God walked the earth, the people who recognized him least were the most religious people who knew their Bibles well and went to church and followed all the customs and practices and rites and rituals of their faith, but they didn't recognize God when he stood in front of them. And Luke is pleasantly surprised by God who, the God who showed up. And he thinks you and I are going to be surprised as well. So today he's going to show us the story of Jesus encountering some of his, his disciples. And when he encounters them, they are surprised by him as well. Uh, take a minute, pray with me, and then we'll get into our study today. Jesus, I thank you that you are a surprise to us. And I thank you that when we settle for less than what you are, uh, you show up and reveal more of yourself to us. And I ask that you do that for us now, that as we study your word, as we pray, as we open our hearts to you, that we discover more of you and that we find uh, a God who uh, is pleasantly different than we anticipated. So God, speak into our studies of your word and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, we're gonna pick up in the gospel of Luke. We're in chapter five today at verse one. And we're gonna see what happened when Jesus first began calling his disciples. This is Luke chapter five, verse one. Listen to God's word. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, this is also the Sea of Galilee, uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, this is Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, remember the significance of this. We go to God when we are desperate, demanding what we need on our terms. God, I hope you're there, but I need you to help my business. I hope you're there. I need you to save my marriage. I hope you're there. I need you to protect my kids. And God will take us on those terms. God will take us demanding the things that we need, the things that we are afraid to lose. If you're at that place where you're desperate and you're not sure whether or not God is there to provide for you, pray away. Go ahead and ask. And don't be surprised when he answers. 
Don't be surprised when he grants you what you pray for. But just realize that he's not going to let the satisfaction of our desires be the final word. That is just bait. Because Jesus is doing some fishing of his own. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. So understand, Jesus has just worked this miracle. Peter realizes it, and Peter's response is to say, I don't deserve to be standing in the presence of God. Get away from me, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They also will become disciples of Jesus. Now remember, this is a a throwback to a passage in the Hebrew scriptures that any first century Jewish person would have known. And Peter is remembering this. Peter is recalling this intentionally. Peter is, is actually alluding to a biblical passage that all of Peter's companions would have known. If you go back and read the story of the prophet Isaiah in the Hebrew scriptures, there's a moment where God calls the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah has this vision of being in the presence of God. And Isaiah, in the presence of God, says, woe is me, I'm a sinful man. He realizes that he doesn't deserve to be standing in the presence of a perfect God. That's what Peter's alluding to. And in the the call of Isaiah, in this vision that Isaiah has, uh, he says, Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And an angel takes a hot coal and touches it to Isaiah's lips as though to cauterize a wound. And it's, it's, it's so as to, to restore Isaiah, to purify Isaiah. And then with his unclean lips now purified, God puts his word into Isaiah's mouth. Well, Peter is alluding that. Peter is saying, I think I know who you are. I think I know where I am. I think I'm standing in the presence of God every bit as much as Isaiah was. And just as Isaiah realized that he didn't deserve to be standing in the presence of a perfect God, So I, Peter, realize I don't deserve to be standing in the presence of Jesus. Away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man, right? So Peter knows three things here. Peter knows who Jesus is. He's figured it out. He knows the story of Isaiah. He knows what it means to stand in the presence of a perfect God. And he knows who Jesus is. And he knows who he himself is. He knows Isaiah, he knows Jesus, and now he, he sees himself. He knows that he doesn't deserve to be there. And, and that ought to give you and I pause. When we step into the presence of a perfect God, we are standing in the presence of the one who knows absolutely everything we've ever done. I, I used to have this, this anxiety, this fear as a, a kid that when, when the day came where I stood in front of God's throne, when I stood there on judgment day, that God was going to sit me down and play a video of everything I had ever done wrong with my mom watching. Well, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you to to take your sins away from you, then on the cross, you know, Jesus erased the video. There's no longer anything else to show. He doesn't look at you and see your, your brokenness and your past. He sees in you a redeemed child whom he loves, whom he has set free and called to a beautiful future. Peter's worried that he doesn't deserve to be standing in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus knows that worry. 
and has every intention of setting people, uh, Peter free. You and I are part of a desperately embarrassed, deceptive species. It is a, a fearful thing to be known. The first thing Adam and Eve did after they ate from the tree of knowledge and they, they realized who they were, they realized where they were and what they had done, the first thing they did was to make clothes so as to hide themselves. The first thing you and I do when we fall in love with somebody, when we want someone to like us, is we buy clothes to hide ourselves, to make ourselves look better than we are. We put on makeup to cover up our real faces. And our deepest fear, our deepest question when we fall in love is, when you really know me, will you still love me? It is a fearful thing to be known. It's only in Jesus that we discover that the one who knows us most thoroughly loves us most deeply. It's in Jesus that we are surprised by God because in, in Jesus, knowing us thoroughly and loving us deeply goes together like peanut butter and jelly. It's in Jesus that we can be fully known and nonetheless fully loved. It goes on, verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, on shore, left everything, and followed him. So Jesus takes us on our terms. Uh, I'm in trouble. I need you to save my business. I need you to save my marriage. I need you to watch over my kids. He takes us on our terms. But then he does two things. He sets us on a life's mission, on a, on a purpose. He, he sends us out to fish for people. And then he calls us to leave the very nets through which he provided for us. We, we pray, save my business, because that's how I feed myself. That's how I survive. That's how I live. And he may well answer that prayer. But he's going to turn around and send us out on a mission that requires us to leave the very nets that we were praying for. When the Israelites left Egypt, when they left slavery in Egypt, they had to wander through the desert with nothing to provide for themselves. And it was in the desert that they discovered that God could make bread rain from heaven. It's only when God takes us to those places where we have to let go of our nets that we discover that he is the God who wants to provide for us. And when you have a God like that, you don't have to depend on the nets anymore. I've been fishing before, and I know what it's like. It's a long wait and a hope that the waves will cough up dinner out of the darkness. It's a long wait to see whether this world will provide what you need to live on. And for a lot of us, that's a good description of our jobs. Our jobs are a long wait and a hope that the economy will cough up enough work and money that we can survive. We can go to God in our desperation and say, I am worried about this, and he will take us on those terms. But he's gonna turn around and send us out on a life's mission and allow us to leave behind those nets that we've been worrying about. Uh, we've, uh, we've seen this over and over again here at uh, Real Life Church, and um, 
the staff actually has a running joke about this, that when we, we realize the church needs something, uh, we, we, we've said we only have to say it out loud and God provides it. We only say that because it's happened over and over again, that when the church finds itself in a place of need, if we just name it and say, God, this is what the church needs, God often just provides it. And I saw this again recently, and it was almost kind of funny because uh, we've been uh, running a pantry now through the course of this year, and we feed about 500 people a month, uh, giving out groceries uh, for people who just drive through. And I was talking to a friend of mine who runs another pantry, and I said, so our pantry's kind of growing. What should we do? What do we need to prepare for? And he said, well, the first thing you need to do is get one of those big six-foot-long freezers so that we can drop off groceries in the middle of the week, so we can drop off meat and, and produce that you can put in the freezer and keep until the weekend to give out. And that'll be the next step for you. And I thought, okay, well, that's, we can do that. But then I thought, you know, that sounds like one of those things that God's just gonna provide for us. I only say this because I've seen God do this so many times that when the church is in need of resources for our ministries, we really just kind of name it and God provides it. So I didn't, I didn't run out and buy anything. I just waited. I prayed. I said, God, we need a freezer for our pantry. And then uh, a woman joined our church not that long ago. Uh, she had belonged to another church that basically had kind of died down during the pandemic and didn't have the energy to keep going. But one of the things that that church did that they were proud of was they had a pantry. And so one of the last things they're doing as a church is distributing the resources that are left to other worthy causes. And she came here and she liked our church because our church had a pantry like her old church had had. So she went back to that old church and asked them, if they would write us a check specifically for our pantry. And sure enough, it was exactly what we needed for that freezer that I had prayed for. And I've just seen God do that so many times that when we turn to him and say, hey, I need you to provide, God likes doing that kind of thing. And it's not for selfish reasons. I, I'm not I'm not praying for things just for my own luxury and indulgence. I'm, I'm praying for the mission of the church. And when, when you leave behind the nets that you've been depending on and start to live for God's kingdom, you start to live your life on a mission to go fishing for people. God loves to provide for that. And I found over and over again that when we trust in God and depend on God, he, he calls us out of the nets that we were hanging on to to send us out into a life's mission that he loves to, to underwrite. If you've never experienced that before, there's no other way to do it than to try it out. You can listen to me talk about it all day long, but until you experience putting yourself out there and risking trusting in Jesus, you won't experience for yourself how good it is for him to take care of you. So this is the big picture now. This is the, the text. God will take us on whatever terms we come to him. Peter's desperate. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. That's what he needs to live. That's how he feeds himself. He sells those fish. That's how he provides for his family. And God will take us on those desperate terms. I need you to take care of my physical needs in this, in this world. But once we do that, God will take us out of the, the fishing that we've been doing and put us on a life's mission to go out and fish for people. And as we do that, he invites us to let go of the things we've been clinging to. And when we do that, we get to discover that the one who knows us most thoroughly loves us most deeply. 
for Luke, this was the great surprise. Luke probably knew only the religion of the Pharisees, the self-righteous, strict, judgmental religion of the law that said there's an angry God up there with lots of rules, so you'd better obey him. And in Jesus, he discovered the God who longs to set his people free. This text uh, is not just a description of something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's not just a, a historical curiosity. It's a calling for the present day. This text is meant to speak to you and I who live day to day, paycheck to paycheck, catch to catch, hoping we can provide for ourselves. God wants to call us to something new. So there's a next step for you wherever you are. Let me name three of them. You may be in a place where you're just desperate, where you're reaching out to God for the first time and you're not confident that there's a God there, but you're so desperate you'll try even that. Maybe there was a God in your childhood that a grandmother told you about and you've clung to the hope that maybe that's real. And now you're in a place of crisis and you're calling out to God because you don't know where else to go. You're in a place of saying, I need you to provide for me work I can't sustain for myself. I need you to save my marriage. It's a disaster. I need you to watch over my kids. They're a mess. And God will take you on those terms. Pray away. But don't be surprised when he answers. And don't be surprised when, therefore, you're hooked. Because Jesus was fishing for you all along. Or maybe, if it's not that one, secondly, it could be that you're in a place where you actually have come to believe that God really is there and God really does things in this world. Maybe you've prayed and seen God answer prayers and now you're terrified because you think there might be a big, great, powerful God up there who actually knows you and now he's got his eyes on you. Now he can see you where you are. And you're worried if he knows me, what does that mean? If he knows me, I'm in trouble. Jesus wants nothing more than for you to discover his grace. He literally died for you. How much more could he show you that he loves you? He now wants you to discover his grace. And most likely the next step for you is to join a community of grace where you can experience his love through other people who are following him. If you've never joined one of the small groups at our church before, you need to join a small group where you can study the Bible and do life with some other people. And together as a community of grace, we go following after Jesus and inviting him to shape and change our lives. You'll find out as time goes along that you're not afraid of the God who, who knows you. You love that God knows you because it means he can then work on exactly what you need to become the kind of person that you've always wanted to be. God will polish us down. God will shape us and change us and call us out of brokenness. But it's not because he's angry at us. It's not to shame us or expose us or embarrass us. It's to set us free because he loves us. God, God calls us out of brokenness because the happiness that comes from holiness is better than the pleasure that comes from sinfulness.
It's not to ruin our lives. It's not to make us feel bad. It's to set us free. It's to make us healthy. It's to make us happy. Real life exists to lead people to Jesus and to be a community of grace with a God-sized vision for every generation. If you've never joined a community of grace before and you suspect that there's a God out there, it's time to take that step into a small group and commit yourself to growing together in community. A third possible next step, maybe maybe you know there's a God out there. Maybe you've discovered this community of grace and you know that God loves you. The next step is a big one. The next step for you might be to leave the nets. It might be that you've spent your life, depending on your own efforts, your own talents, your skills, your education, to provide for yourself and take care of yourself. And it might be that Jesus says to you, okay, you've done good. Now let's go fish for people. It might be that Jesus wants to call you out of mere survival into a life on mission. The the gospel of Luke does not tell us Luke's personal call narrative. It doesn't tell us how Luke was chosen, but we know a little bit about Luke. We know from uh, Colossians 4, we know he was a doctor, which means he was educated, he was wealthy, and he was probably settled. Can you imagine being midway through life and suddenly giving up the comforts and security of having provided for yourself well to go live life on a mission, to go to cities you've never been to before, to talk to strangers about a message that's worth sharing. Luke would have been sleeping in tents on the ground when he probably had a house that he could have lived in. Can you imagine living life like that? Well, Luke did. Because he found something that was worth it. And Jesus wants you and I to realize that if life is going to be worth anything at all, it's going to be worth it because we lived it with him. Imagine waking up tomorrow morning, not just going about business as usual, but living life on a mission because you've discovered the God who knows you and in knowing you thoroughly has loved you deeply. And there's nothing more important in your life now than making that love known to the world. That is the calling of we who follow Jesus. And that's your calling starting now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for calling us to mission. For we who have gotten settled and comfortable and used to things the way they are, break us out of that mold of familiarity And set us free to live life on mission. Set us free to new life. God, awaken in our congregation a heart of mission, a heart of pastoring and ministry among people who are tired of what they've been doing and just don't know what to do next. Awaken in our congregation people who want to go out and live a life of adventure, to put everything at risk for your name and find out that you're the God who can rain bread from heaven. God, take us out of our comfortable and safe homes and call us to go out and care for people who are hurting and alone and lost. Highlight people who cross our paths this week 
that you need us to pay attention to. Make us your feet in this world, your arms in this world. And highlight those people that you love, that you're chasing after. Send us out to fish for people in your name. Jesus, I thank you that when we stand in your presence, we need not be afraid. Because you're not the God who's mad at us. You're the God who died for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.